The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner here at Post 9. Front and center this hour, countdown to the Fed. What must happen today for your money to rally? Simple question complicated answer. We'll debate that with the investment committee. Joining me for the hour right here today at the Stock Exchange, Joe Terranova, Kerry Firestone, and Jim Labenthal. Let's check the market. It's got a pretty decent day going, so we're trying a rally again. Dow's good for one half of 1%. That's near 200 points. We're over 4,000 on the S&P 500 still. 21-point gain. There's the NASDAQ, good for one half of 1% as well. Russell, good today. 350 is the yield on the 10-year note, and that's likely to be closely watched as we progress towards and then during and after the Fed meeting, of course. So, Joe, I, I ask you the question I ask at the top. It's a simple question. What will it take for stocks to rally on the Fed today? I think the press conference on the part of the chairman needs to not be overtly hawkish. And it's as simple as that. I think not having the type of hawkish rhetoric that we had at the prior mm -hmm. FOMC press conference will allow the market to rally. The market's in a position to rally. It's above the 200-day moving average. The dollar is on the retreat once again. We're 10% lower from the peak. You've got mega caps, ex-Tesla, all behaving accordingly. I think the market wants the rally. Let's see if the chairman allows it. When you say not overtly hawkish, what kind of language would be too much for the market to bear? Uh, suggesting that the market, the patient, the stress test, the time on the treadmill is going to be infinitely longer than the market expects. He's going to put the market through that stress test. He's going to maybe lower the speed on the treadmill, but he's not letting the patient or market get off the treadmill. Okay, so Kerry, do we get any clarity on the terminal rate, right? That's what matters most. How high are they going to go? Sure. Do we get clarity on how high they're going to go and for how long they're going to stay there? Do we need those questions answered today to mount a rally into the end of the year, if not beyond? I don't think he's going to say anything specifically about a terminal rate or how many rate hikes we're going to have. I do think we need him to say that inflation is going in the right direction and that the concern he has had about labor costs and wages being very sticky and being one of the primary factors in inflation that needs to be addressed is a lagging type of, of process and that we would expect him, we hope that he says that we are seeing the effect of our rate hikes across the economy and not singling out places where there has been no effect and he feels particularly concerned about that. We don't want to hear great concern about pockets where too much stickiness, inflation is persistent, we really need to keep going. That would be uh, a detriment He's to the market. He's going to talk about that though, right? Why, why they have to stay the course because inflation yes. is still too high. I can absolutely hear those words. Jim Labenthal, what are you looking for today as somebody who probably needs a more dovish message than most, given what your outlook is? 
Um, this may surprise you. I, I actually care much less than usual about this Fed meeting. I'm tempted to say I don't care at all, but that's too provocative. I'm thinking about what Kerry and Joe just said, and Joe saying that, you know, it doesn't have to be, or it shouldn't be overtly hawkish. Let's dance with this for a second. Let's say he comes out hell-bent for leather, and I'm raising rates. That would be so out of step, out of tune with what the data is saying that I don't think, at this point, the market would believe it. Um, you know, there's been a heck of a lot of chest pounding this year, whether it's Mr. Powell, whether it's Mr. Bullard. And I think it's it's grown long in the tooth. I think people are now, I got what I needed yesterday, Scott, got what I needed, that CPI report coming in better than expected for the second month in a row. If I look at the granular data, whether it's used car prices, gasoline, rent, it tells me that trend is going to continue. That's what I need. But and you it, thought you it, had what you needed. The market went up 700. You're like, this is great. This is the start of something. I told you, I told you people, I told you, now this shows it, and then the rally fizzled. I think there's, I think there's still some grudging acceptance to come. I don't think I'm being provocative in saying that the majority consensus for the last few months is, to use the same expression, the Fed's hell-bent for leather on raising rates, we're gonna get a recession, earnings are gonna come down, the market's going further into bear markets. It's not unanimous, but I do think it's been the consensus, and I think there's, it's taking time, but it's happening, and we're seeing it a little bit today, for people to come to grips with, the worst is over. I know, I'm glad you used the words um, coming to grips, because, Joe, I think you could say one of the reasons why we gave it all up yesterday after the CPI is the fact that we are coming to grips with reality, that even if inflation is coming down and the Fed is closer to a pause, the economy is still slowing and it's going to slow further because of, of what they've already done. And lower inflation is going to mean lower earnings and lower earnings are going to mean lower stock prices. That's the complexity of where we are right now in this cycle. And I said with you yesterday on OT, I think that's where you're going to introduce dissension for the very first time into uh, the Federal Reserve's meeting room. And I think that ultimately is a bullish signal because it's an indication that the path is certainly going to begin to slow and we may reach a resting point for the Federal Reserve and their monetary policy actions. One other point that I think has to be uh, factored into when you're thinking about the economic climate of 2023. So you have a Fed funds rate that is clearly going to go above 4% today. Yeah. Okay. What is the real Fed funds rate, though, Scott, if you factor in the quantitative tightening? Because in my estimation, you're right there with inflation. You're probably up around six and a quarter to six, six and three quarters. Okay, you, you've hit your inflation target. You told me that's what you want to do. So I think that's important. I think you've got to factor that in as well. Throw me back up the Fed funds rate outlook because you see, I mean, the market's not even at 5%. It doesn't think that the Fed is going to get there. Maybe it doesn't think they're going to be able to get there. But May 23, you're at 483. And then you already see yeah. things coming down. There are some who are predicting cuts next year as well. In the here and now, which matters more to me than anything, Mark Newton, Fundstrat, by the way, Tom Lee, he's waiting in the wing. So you got Tom Lee, who deals with the fundamentals and the market outlook based on all of that from Fundstrat, who's literally coming on in a matter of moments. Their technician, Mark Newton, says... The near-term downtrend remains intact for U.S. benchmark indices after early strength was repelled yet again at the key 4,100 level. So, Jim, how do we, how do we deal with that, right? Technically, yes. Yeah. Joe says we're over the 200-day moving average. Newton will tell you, I don't really care about that that much. 
The fundamentalist in me has to respect the technicals. I'm not a technician, but I will admit, and I expect Harry and Joe to nod vociferously, that this market <laughs> has been rejected at the 200-day moving average several. sort of violently several times. Not a good signal. However, I think you'll also agree to me, that will happen until it doesn't. And I, I don't mean to just throw away a line like that. At some point, it will break through the 200-day moving average and move higher. And I honestly think that the fundamentals, particularly with regards to the CPI and what it implies about the peak Fed funds rate are now supporting that you can break through that 200-day moving average. Didn't happen yesterday, but could happen in, in this rally. Gary. Yeah, so interestingly, uh, if you looked at a survey of strategists right now, top strategists in, in, in the country, they're looking at for 5,100 for this year, for, if you asked them a year ago. 4,100. No, 4,100 now. It was 5,100 last year. Oh, last what they year. Said. Oh, okay. So they were 20. I was like, what's yeah, they were 20, looking for 5,100 now? 20% off. And usually they're off. I mean, nothing against any of them, but the consensus is usually wrong. So they all expect the market to be flat, essentially flat for the coming year. So if that's wrong, which way is it likely to be? Down or up? Of course, we don't know, but it's down 16% already. And I think that the odds are, even if it's up, you know, 5 to 10%, still down from where it was. It's not asking a lot of this market. It really isn't. I mean, Jeffries says, what's in style in 2023? I know most people are not going to want to hear this. They say S&P 500 fair value is 3,500. You juxtapose that with what Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School told us, thinking about what the Fed may do, where the market is now. Listen to what he said, and we'll discuss on the other side. I think the market is undervalued. I think when the Fed gets it, and they will get it next year, I think we got a good 10, 15% rally going for the stock market. I've never seen so much bearishness, and we already know that a record number of people are predicting a, a recession by a great margin, uh, and those same people say, I can't buy stocks when I predict a recession. That excessive bearishness to me means this is a good opportunity for investors. You agree with the professor? This is a good opportunity for investors? It's the Labenthal Siegel perspective. We'll call it that. This is a good opportunity for investors that are respecting valuations, that are respecting profitability, that are buying blue chip companies. I am, I am unequivocal. I do not want to buy non-profitable businesses. I don't want the emerging growth stories. But there are, okay, so I'm going to stop you there for a sure. second because there are a lot of companies that are, are not in that basket. But you're suggestive if you say that, that you'd buy every stock in the Dow and that you would buy today um, a number of other stocks that don't fall into the negative cash flow category or, you know, all, all, of, all of that stuff. That, that would suggest that you're bullish here, that you're buying a lot of stuff, because there are a lot of stocks that don't even fall into the category you say to avoid. So uh, I'm bullish with muted expectations. I think Jeremy's right. I think you get 10% out of the market on the upside. Do I think you get 25 or 30% in 2023? I don't. I think this is a year that's going to be met with a lot of volatility. Let's throw the 200-day moving average out. Let's say it doesn't matter. It's a useless figure. What's more relevant is the fact of how overwhelmingly bearish the sentiment and positioning is, it is as you turn the calendar into January. Now, I know you have Jeffrey Gunlock on overtime this afternoon. I'm not going to steal his thought, but he's right. Once you turn the calendar into January, all that tax loss selling, you're going to see some buying coming back into the marketplace that is going to lift markets as you move into the earnings cycle. So 
yeah, I, I am positioned thinking that being allocated towards equities and fixed income is the right play. And I do think there's value in fixed income right now as well. But I just have muted expectations because I don't think it's going to be the environment like a 2021 where you're going to see outsized returns and you're going to see the profitability just doesn't matter. Let me read you this, too. It's, uh, you know, what from, you know, Nick Timros of The Wall Street Journal should you really look forward today? Remember, very top of the show, we posed the question, what do you need to hear today? What do you think the Fed chair is going to say? And then how do you think the stock market is going to react? So he says, well, what do you need to pay attention to most? The statement. We'd all agree with that. Quote, there's been some speculation by Fed watchers over when the FOMC modifies the quote unquote ongoing increases language to further or some further increases. Most of them think that doesn't happen today. So that goes to your point, Kerry, that what happens if he doesn't allude to, look, we, we got a pause on our mind. I think he's going to allude to something that's positive, meaning he's going to tell everyone that we see that inflation is coming down and that we are having an effect. You know, people will go through every single word he states very, very carefully. And if there's positives and then he doesn't put all of the positives in, people will read that as a dovishness. So, you know, he doesn't have to give us everything. He has to give us something. It's going to be 50. That 75 was off the table, you know, days ago, if you looked at the wagers on it. And the 50 and now 25 for the next has really come up in the betting end. It depends, so, of course yeah. it does, but it all depends on how many 25s are after the 50, right? Yeah. Right. It's not just if, if he makes you believe that it's not 125 and then pause, then, you know, uh, Houston, we have a problem. Yeah, but that's dovish in and of itself, right, when you go to 25. And yeah, but not if you go 25 and then another 25 yeah. and 25 and 25 and so you keep going and, pushes, and it pushes yeah. the terminal rate to a degree that makes the market uh, uncomfortable. Someone who's not uncomfortable to lay out his view on what stocks are going to do next year is our next guest. He is our headliner today, Tom Lee, head of research at Fundstrat Global Advisors. It's good to see you. I have your uh, notes of your strategy outlook in which it's titled Less Crisis, More Opportunity. It's like 63 pages long, Tom. I mean, if you need 63 pages to tell me why next year is going to be good, maybe you're trying too hard. Well, we figure if if it takes you a year to go through it, you'll be into 2024. Um, (laughs) You just forget about next year. I hear you. Yeah. Uh, I, I think 2023, there's so many arguments that the probability of a double digit gain in 2023 is far higher than people expect. Um, But I think it does start with inflation and the Fed uh, because, you know, people talk about monetary policy lags, which is true, but it it affects both inflation and the economy. Inflation has already fallen by half in just the past few months and is annualizing at 4%. This is before we've really seen the bite of the monetary hikes. On top of that, Earnings could do better next year than expected because, you know, things like the PMI, the dollar and supply chains are actually supports for for earnings next year. And I I think that maybe the most important thing to consider is is two other things. One is it's rare for stocks to have back to back declines. Um, In fact, in a year after a decline like this and you say, well, earnings have to be good for stocks to have double digit gains. That's not true. Out of the 21 instances, stocks had declines in a single year. The following year, 18, were positive years. Seven of those had negative earnings growth. So stocks can do quite well next year as long as we're talking about this crisis on inflation ending. And 
I don't know. I mean, I just think today's FOMC, they, they do have to make some changes because, you know, the second paragraph there says the Russia-Ukraine war has been an accelerant to inflation. Oil and wheat are below pre-invasion prices. I, I think that has to come out. And if that does, I, I, to me, this is a Fed that may has a little bit less work to do because you don't have the war inflation pressures. That's going to be a more predictable Fed, and I think that's good for markets. What what I've asked the question at the top of the show, what does the market need to hear to go higher? What don't you want to hear today? Well, I think the biggest risk is if the Fed says, well, we've had progress on inflation and it's visible because remember last FOMC and several Fed members said there hasn't been any visible progress on inflation. We've had two months now of soft inflation, three month annualized inflation is down to four percent. It's been cut in half. But if the Fed says that doesn't matter because we don't trust forecasts and all we care about is wage inflation. Well, that would be quite hawkish, but that would be something I think the, the bond market would challenge. I mean, the two-year yield is telling us the Fed has one hike and that's it. The two-year yield after today is going to be below Fed funds rates. And I think to me, that's why uh, it would they would have to be quite hawkish to shock markets. And, and there's a possibility the markets would just challenge the Fed on, on a view like that. Maybe, I mean, it's time for, you know, Jack Nicholson and a few good men. You can't handle the truth. Because if he says, well, we've had progress, but wage inflation is still too high, that's the truth. They believe that. That is in part why they are as hawkish as they've been and why something they'll be higher for longer because wages have become pretty sticky. That's a great point, Scott. I'm just saying the bond market, it's not going to be what the stock market believes. The bond market right now will call will will call the Fed's bluff on that statement because again, not only does terminal rates dropped below five, the two year is lower. So we would need to see all almost the entire term structure move back above four percent. You know, as as many of your guests have pointed out, if you look at interest rates, only the two year and three month Actually, only the two years above 4% right now. So the rest of the bond market is below Fed funds rates. Jim Labenthal has a question for you, a fellow bull. Yes. Hi, Tom. Won't call you a farmer, Tom, but uh, uh, Scott said something. Good judge said something at the beginning of the show that regardless of what the Fed's going to do, there's a heck of a lot of tightening that they've already done and the effects are just now being felt. Um, here's my question to you. Let's let's dance with that. Let's say there is a slowdown in the first half of next year, the lagged effect, maybe earnings uh, growth, maybe even goes negative this quarter or next. Isn't it quite likely that the second half of next year you get a reacceleration in earnings, uh, assuming the Fed doesn't go higher than 5%, key assumption, um, and that you know the market will start seeing that early in 2023? Do you think that thesis carries water? Uh, yes, Jim. I mean, this, you know, when, when we're talking about what earnings matter to the markets, especially at the end of 2023, it's not 2023 delivered earnings, it'll be 2024. And if we do have a valley of earnings in the middle of 2023, well, since 1920, the stock market has bottomed before earnings 11 out of 13 times by an average of 12 months. So the stock market would be discounting a valley that you're describing. And even bearish strategists for 2024 are some, talking somewhere between 240 to 250 on earnings. Believe it or not, at a 3.5% 10-year, 
since 1930, the median PE is close to 20 times. So you're, you're, you know, it would imply that we would be exiting 2023 at a 5,000 level for the S&P, and that's above our target for 2023. So, Tom, you have a fair value on the S&P um, for, for next year of 4750, 15, 17, 17, excuse me, percent higher than where we are now. Um, Joe told me yesterday, I mean, he's obviously sitting right next to me now, but he said in, in overtime yesterday, and I think the exact words were, I'm worried about Apple. So if Joe's worried about Apple and the market itself seems to be worried about mega cap tech falling out of favor, can you get anywhere close to that target if mega cap tech doesn't participate? It'd be tough because it's, uh, you know, collectively the tech sort of juggernaut is, you know, close to 40 percent of the S&P. But I would say I think there's tailwinds, and we talk about in our report for tech in 2023, but most importantly, if yields are flat, that's PE support. And when, it, when companies and households want to find their way out of a wage inflation problem, which is what we have today, there's only three solutions. One of them is invest in technology to replace labor. That's tech top line. Or it's policy changes that either try to get immigration higher or uh, improve participation rate, but the easiest path is that actually technology spend to replace wage inflation, that's bullish for tech. Yeah, look, I mean, the street is out in force today defending Apple, specifically Evercore, Morgan Stanley, UBS, Loop, everybody reiterating either top pick, outperform, or buy, no big, no big shock. Uh, I mentioned Joe, he has another a question for you on something he's thinking about which might be stimulating for stocks or, or perhaps not but I'll let him ask it. Hi, Tom. So the last couple of years, clearly buybacks, a tailwind for markets, understanding the economic environment being a, a difficult one in 2023. You're going to lose buyback growth. Can we still reach your S&P target without buybacks? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, the buyback math in the past was cost of money was cheap, so companies could borrow at low cost and buy back their equity. Um, you know, the nominal return for equity is, is still high because valuations have come down and they're still producing earnings and cash flow. But another thing to keep in mind is, you know, there's close to $7 trillion of cash uh, from companies that are earning 4% on that cash now. And their debt is termed out seven years, so they're not reflecting higher interest rates for another five or six years. And that by that time, the Fed could be cutting. So I think in a way, companies are going to still benefit from this higher cost of money, even if they do fewer buybacks. Hey, Tom, I appreciate it very much. It's a big day. Great to add your voice to this conversation. That's Tom Lee of Fundstrat joining us. Last word, Carrie, to you real quick, uh, because we're talking about tech. And I want you to be quick. Adobe's after the bell, exactly. right? You own it? We own it. Key space, software, thinking about what's going on. Stock's down 44% over 12 months. Exactly. Well, they reiterated their guidance for the fourth quarter and next year a month ago. So if things have deteriorated significantly since then, we'll hear about it. We don't think so. We think they'll start to show some improvement, both on margins, cutting costs, and the dollar being weaker is helpful. Okay. Let's take a quick break, then straight ahead. Wall Street rolling out their top stocks for 2023. We'll debate several of them in our calls of the day next. Plus, the investment committee is ready to grade your trade. Answering your questions about specific trades that you have made, send us an email. Ask Halftime at CNBC.com. Tweet us. Halftime is back in just two minutes.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. All right, some top picks for 2023. Those are our calls of the day. Tesla, hmm. name top pick Morgan Stanley. That's Adam Jonas. Overweight, target 330. Uh, the pandemic revealed Tesla as the clear EV leader. The stock has been in an absolute free fall. Uh, Joe, you own it in the Joe T. You had to remind me. <laughs> well, I mean, Okay, let's you talk. You call no, the Joe T, right? It's, yep, it's comprised of quality and momentum. You have to take the Some good. Some question the quality right now, and the momentum is going, obviously, the opposite direction. Why to, does it turn around? You have to take the good with the bad. Um, I'll be on overtime on Tuesday, January 31st. I will tell you at that time what we decide to do with Tesla. You mean the rebalance? The rebalance is on a quarterly basis, so we have the distinctive advantage of, a of doing tease. something. That's like deeper than the deepest tees okay, we've but, ever done. But, but look, uh, without question, this stock has, has lost its momentum. It's $497 billion in market cap. The valuation is still a little bit rich. You've mostly owned this stock based on momentum. And strategically, if you're hoping for some form of fundamental turnaround in the company from Elon Musk, you're not getting it. Why? Because he's blaming the Federal Reserve and he's blaming the economy for the troubles of Tesla. There's obviously something more that's going on than just the economy and the Federal Reserve. But as far as positioning, we'll address it uh, at the end of January. I mean, Goldman, you know, they like Tesla. They cut the price target, though, to 235 from 305. Uh, which is interesting. They call it because of softer supply demand, which is you know a question given what's going on in China, supply chain, et cetera, et cetera. All right, Exxon named the top 2023 pick at Morgan Stanley. Overweight, 114 is the target. Jimmy. I'm tempted to go back to it? Tesla, but that would really tick you off. I'll just say it's a car company and leave it at that. Exxon Mobil. There's a, there's a supply-demand imbalance here, and it's going to continue. Why? Because we've drawn down the strategic petroleum reserve here in the U.S. massively. We need to rebuild that. That's going to be more on the demand side. And what happens when China picks up after this post-COVID uh, shutdown? Uh, and Russian oil sanctions. I mean, I could go on and on. I'm piling on here. It's a simple story that the supply-demand imbalance is going to continue. Massive share buyback in place, nice dividend yield. This is the place to be. By the way, Mr. GM, with that snide comment. Um, <laughs> that was a little Adam snide. Jonas would agree with you. I mean, he says Tesla's gap 
can widen with the competition and the pandemic revealed it as the clear EV leader. So you want to just deal with yeah, that since look, you went back? Um, Let's do it. Yeah, look, I make this simple. People, the bulls, and I'm not, I'm not talking about Joe, right? This, the bulls the, on GM are going to say, look, this is an EV company that Mary Barra and company have done a great job of building out profitability in the EV space it's not in EV the next 12 company. to 20. Scott, it is an EV company. GM? You're, you're GM holding, is an EV company? Yeah. That's where the growth in this business is coming from. That's where it's coming from. Wouldn't Ford be considered more of an EV company? So this is a, a yes, yes, but here's the thing. What Ford did, strategy, okay, they said, let's flood the marketplace with EV models. We'll worry about profitability later. There's some genius to that. What GM is saying is, let's get one unified chassis, the Ultium chassis. Let's get that right and then roll out all the models so that we can get the profitability quicker by having a unified chassis. The, kind of the point is GM wants to be an EV company, Tesla's I, I, know I'm being there. A little, I know I'm being a little provocative. I know. I know. I'm speaking about the future, but not the future five years from now. I'm talking about the future one year from now. Some might say glib. You say provocative. But Some might say a little glib. On. Some might say a little glib. And I, but, but look, this is a stock that is trading six, seven times forward earnings. Uh, I think there's upside. I mean, I think you take that to 10 times, you get a pretty nice return on this. Tesla's trading at 28 times forward earnings. I don't mean to bash Tesla. I mean to say if you trade GM like the EV company that it's becoming, this is massively undervalued. Okay. Uh, Kerry, Schwab at UBS, top pick there. Uh, 90 bucks is the price target. You own that, yeah? Yeah, I like that. I'd say 100 is the price target. It's below a market multiple. The stock really benefits from the cash they have on hand with all the deposits in their bank. It also doesn't face the kind of competition from Robinhood and all the startups that people thought was going to be a big problem for Schwab or Fidelity and the bigger players. And so we think that it's a very good financial right here and uh, attractively priced. Okay. Let's get the headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hi, Bertha. God, here's what's happening at this hour. President Biden says the country should have societal guilt for taking too long to address gun violence and that the nation needs to do more to prevent future tragedy. Biden's statements comes on the 10-year anniversary of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. Since Sandy Hook, there have been at least 54 school shootings involving active shooters, according to an NBC News count. U.S. soccer journalist Grant Wall died of an aortic aneurysm while covering the World Cup in Qatar, his wife said this morning. Wall's wife, Dr. Celine Gunder, said an autopsy was performed in New York and that there was nothing nefarious about his death. Wall collapsed while covering a match last Friday and had said on his website that he had been feeling ill. And a Florida pastor and his son have been arrested and charged with an alleged $8 million COVID scam. Investors, investigators have been looking into the pair for some time after they allegedly secured a fraudulent PPP loan for a family ministry and tried to use the money to buy a house. The money was seized over a year ago. Halftime will be back in just two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. 
Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. Estimates for the stock market in 2023, they're all over the map. With the fundamentals cloudy, many are looking to technical and trend-following analysis. And there is an ETF for that. CNBC contributor Katie Stockton is the founder and managing partner of Fairlead Strategies and portfolio manager for the Fairlead Tactical Sector ETF. The symbol is TAC, but you didn't know Katie has an ETF. You started it in March. It's been successful. Right. You got some money involved here. Uh, it uses a sector rotation strategy. You go between equity sectors, treasuries, gold. How does this work? What's invested in it right now? So it's both sector rotation and also asset allocation. And importantly, it's driven by technical analysis, which is, of course, what you know me for. So charting the markets, which we focus primarily for the TAC ETF on long-term momentum. So we want to make sure that we're in areas of the market that have that long-term momentum. Of course, in a bear market cycle, we don't have a lot of that on the sector front. So right now, TAC actually only holds one sector, which is energy. Yeah, essentially, very light on the, the equity exposure here. Uh, now, this is rebalanced on a monthly basis. So this really is tactical here. So you, you see here, essentially, you've only got exposure to energy and nothing else here. So what conditions would need to exist for you to flip all of a sudden from owning treasuries and gold to owning more equities? What would have to happen? That's right. So it's very highly risk off is what we call it right now with a big position in short-term treasuries, long-term treasuries and gold via GLD and other ETF. And that positioning is appropriate for a bear market cycle. Now, when we come out of that, which I do think we will perhaps by the middle of next year, so not too far down the road, the sector positioning should ramp up very quickly because the momentum gauges are already at the point where we have long-term oversold conditions and we're starting to see a loss of long-term downside momentum that ultimately should manifest itself in our models. Yeah, you see only 11% in energy here, nothing else uh, out there in equities. Uh, Short-term considerations aside, what I've noticed is strategists are lowering their expectations for earnings in 2023. Most of them are flat or negative. Many of them have essentially 4,000 for a price target. That's where we are now. So how do you, what's your outlook for 2023? To get price increases, you'd have to essentially argue the multiple has to expand now if you think earnings are going to come down. But it's a tough environment to make a call in right now. Yeah, it's still very tough. And I actually think it's almost tougher to assign some kind of year-end objective because I think we'll see an inflection point mid-year. So I think the first part of the year would be pretty rough. We'll see another extension lower for the S&P 500 index. And with that, we want that risk off category exposure, short-term treasuries, long-term treasuries, et cetera. But when we come out of it, you know, I think it'll be around mid-year. I think we can set our sights on the next bull market cycle. And we don't know where the year is going to end, but I think it will probably be higher overall. Yeah, most of the strategists are more bullish on the second half than the first half. We're going to have much more with Katie on how our TAC ETF works and the outlook for 2023 coming up on ETF Edge at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. She'll be joined by Ben Levine. He's the chief financial officer of 3DL Capital Management. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime Report returns right after this. Hanging on to gains, hour 20 before the Fed. It's time now for Grade My Trade. First up, Carrie, for you, you are the grader. It's from Jack in Minnesota. I bought 50 shares of PayPal 
and have a stop loss at 68, looking for a 12 to 18 percent pop before I sell. What do you think of the trade? I like the trade, Jack. And PayPal, which has come down significantly, like 75% from its peak, has been one of those battered COVID darlings. If it goes up 15%, it'll be 85. That's still down, you know, 70% from where it was. The stock trades for under 16 times next year's earnings. So we think that's a reasonable buy. And I hope you don't get to your loss stop. Okay. Blair says this is a trade for Farmer Jim. I bought shares of Qualcomm back in the fall at 170. It's now trading at 122. We can pull up shares to see exactly where they are today. So 170 is where Blair got in. Now Blair's wondering what should I do because it seems like a loser. Well, Blair, I think you're going to make money on this, um, and I think you should stick with it. I am. Um, let's talk about what's happened. Basically, earnings this year have come down on the back of what's been going on in the, in the smartphone uh, world, which is basically a demand decline. China has a lot to do with that. But the main point I'm driving at is that is temporary. And it's not just smartphones that you're buying Qualcomm for. It's the automotive application. It's the uh, industrial application. So this, over the coming 12 months, should earn about $12 a share. Right now, it's trading at about 10 times those earnings. I would say that this easily deserves about 15 times based on the high cash flows that come from those earnings. Uh, and basically, 15 times gets you up towards 180. I think you're going higher from there. So stick with it, Blair. But I mean, let, let, let's be honest here, okay? Yeah. Um, you can be bullish about Qualcomm, but he bought it at 170. Yeah. 170. 170. You got to give Blair It's a at stop. 124. Yeah. Just hold on and you're going to I think you're going to make money in it. Hold on for what? Dear life. And no, 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 no. But well, I mean, can we put the stocks down a lot? That's that's Blair's got a lot of company out there too, from from viewers who bought I, stocks I higher and, and are sitting there lower wondering what I'm to do. Taking everything that you and Blair are saying 100 percent seriously. OK, you are supposed to hang on to the stock right now. I'm not happy either that it's gone from 170 to 122. I'm in it with you. I'm not selling a share. Uh, I do think this is undervalued here. And I don't think this is waiting for Godot or waiting until your old age. I think this is in the next year, in the next 12 months. You are well above that 170 buy price. But right now. It's 122. If you sell it here, the question is, where are you going to? Where are you going to get a better return? Not where you bought it at. Where are you going to get a better return from this 122? I see a pretty good return over the next 12 months from this. Maybe you think that you should average down here. She, I'm not sure if they're a female. But. I do. I own a ton of this, which is the only reason I'm not buying more. I own a ton of it. I oh, do think so you'd average buy down. I would. I want to stop. Got to put a stop in. Sorry, Jimmy. Got to put a stop. You don't in. have to apologize. What's your stop? I don't own the stock. All right. Well, you said in the next 12 months, the stock's going to be a lot higher than what it is now. I mean, this year caught me by surprise. This year caught me by surprise. I mean, going into this year, I did not expect a smartphone decline. It happened. There's a lot of reasons why. Now it's behind us. You got to okay. look forward. All right. So, Joe, lastly to you from Patrick, sure. I bought Lilly at around 295. Should I sell it now, collecting my gains after their recent report, or hold on due to their development of their weight loss drug? It's, you, you own it in the Joe it's, T. It's in Joe which T. is why you're grading we it. Have a, we have an overweight to healthcare, so Lily's going to be a part uh, of that. Uh, Patrick, anytime you ask the question, should I sell something, the answer to that is sell half right now, because subconsciously you're telling yourself you want to sell based on a risk management strategy. Sell half. 
I do think if you want to redeploy the cash, you could put it in a name like Merck. I think on a valuation basis, geographic revenue distribution basis, the dividend yield, all of it, Merck is a little bit of a better company. Okay. Please keep your trades coming in. Again, you can email us, ask, email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com. You can tweet us uh, as well. Please do. A lot of you are, which we greatly appreciate, and we're having a good uh, go at it, grading them for you, too. We're counting down to the Fed decision. You know that. We're a little more than an hour away, about 75 minutes or so. Chair Powell's news conference to follow that. Mike Santoli joining us next with his Midday Word. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, has made his way, of course, to Post 9. I asked a question to everybody at the top. What does the market need to hear today? Do you have a sense of, of what, you know, would, would really be desired? I think an acknowledgement by Powell of progress made to some degree. He did lay out in his Brookings talk, you know, the sort of three legs of the stool for what require, he's requiring to, to gauge progress. And we're seeing some of that stuff kick in, right? Sort of services outside of rent, uh, inflation coming down. Those types of things. I think it's always just a pure Rorschach test, though, in terms of where the market's positioned ahead of time. Right now, the S&P 500 is the definition of staying neutral in balance on the way. It's in the middle of yesterday's range. It's at the 200-day average. And, and I think the reason you get the gyrations after the, after the press conference or even before the press conference is because, by definition, 40% of people are either surprised or unhappy. Um, and then nobody has conviction and how the market's going to react, right? Think about it. If there was a way to game it today, right now, and say this is how the market's going to react to what we know is going to happen, it wouldn't whipsaw like the way it does. So I think broadly speaking, the market has it right in the sense that uh, the moment of peak panic on inflation is, is past, and we've seen maximum Fed. Uh, if they really jack the terminal rate up well above 5%, maybe that's an excuse for the market to back off a little bit. Do you think, do you think they would let us know that today? Yeah, it'll be in the outlook, in the dot plot, yeah. And we'll um, have a good idea. And, and then, supposedly people are trying to actually talk about when does that get submitted, right? It, it, apparently the committee puts it in on Friday, and they don't usually alter it after the CPI report, so we'll see. I don't know if that's going to be, you know, good enough. If, you're, if you know, the dot plot's going to be the story. If it's more hawkish than the market thinks, Jim, which, I mean, I think, the, you know, the over-under is you take the over on that. I think the market, though, is going to look through it and say, what are you guys, what are you guys yeah. thinking? I mean, I'm thinking about what you put to Neil Kashkari a month, two months ago, right? I mean, something came out that was just out of sync with the data. And you pushed back, and it was very reasonable. And I think the market will push back, is pushing back, right, with where the two-year is, and saying, if you guys come out hawkish, nobody's going to believe you. know with Kashkari, though, since you brought him up, he said, I'll see your pushback, but I'll raise you services inflation. Sure. And the core, which is not in the headlines, it's not at the gas pump, but it's what is the stickiest of all, and why we're doing what we're doing, and why even he, who is dovish, suggests they need to be hawkish. That's that's fine, but the market is also going to say, look, outside of rent, you know, if you look at real-time rent, we know where inflation's going. So if that's the premise, it's much more about if Powell continues to say, we need a long period of below-trend growth to get this thing done, to be confident about it. And that's going to involve more pain on employment and wages than you are now handicapping. That, that could be the, the area. Look, a lot of times the market just wants it to be done with and we're past it, and then we see where we are. I think the market's pretty hedged up going into it, right? Been a lot of put buying recently. I doubt it all got flushed away in yesterday's morning rally, so we'll see. We've learned our lesson, too, on reacting after the 
decision and then reacting a different way after the statement. Sometimes so, even the next morning is when you have yeah. to wait till. We'll yeah. see in a few hours. Maybe we will have some good reaction to talk about. That's Mike Santoli. He'll join us for our last word in overtime. Up next, been one of the hottest trades over the past two years. Now a new bullish call says the gains are just getting started. We revealed that trade, discuss how the committee is playing it next. All right, Goldman's Jeffrey Curry today making a very strong case for commodities in 2023. Says the best asset class two years running, likely to be again in 23. Joe, he's bullish oil. He got China reopening, travel demand. I could go on for the reasons there. He likes gold. This means growth concerns can outweigh the impact of tightening. Gold should continue its current positive momentum higher. He's bullish on industrial metals. Figure the weaker dollar is going to help this out as well if it stays that way. What's your view here for somebody who owns Archer Daniels, Deer, EOG, Freeport, Pioneer? Yep. And Valero. Um, I agree with the call. I think agriculture is a critical component to have in your commodity portfolio. And I really like the copper trade. The world is short in terms of supply. Freeport MacMoran's a trade there. He likes copper uh, as well. Jim Cliffs, uh, Kinder. We talked about Exxon. Uh, do you believe in you know what sure sounds like uh, the renewed super cycle, if you will, for commodities, at least in his mind, because almost every single contingent of that he likes? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of building about to go on, not just here in the U.S., but around the world. And at some point, uh, we're going to rebuild Ukraine at some point. But that's, all of this is going to require steel, cement, energy. Um, and, oh, by the way, as Joe just pointed out, agriculture is going to participate, too, because we need more planting. We need more harvests. Uh, benefits deer, amongst others. All right. Quick break. Final trades are next. Watch overtime today, 4 o'clock Eastern. Jeffrey Gundlach once again on Fed Day, his first reaction to the decision and the news conference. The best investments he sees Given what happens today, he'll let you know, of course, with us exclusively today once again. Josh Brown's going to be there, too. Uh, so I hope you'll join us. He'll give you his outlook, too, for stocks and everything else that he sees. Let's do some final trades. Uh, Farmer Jim. Alaska Airlines. Uh, Scott, and I think everybody knows how I feel about the economy, that we're not headed for a recession. Even within the airlines, this is the best of the bunch. And I say that based on their release yesterday, that they're going to start share repurchases in early 2023. They're amongst the first. They may be the first to do that in the airline industry. Reflects their strong balance sheet and their projections for strong financial performance in 2023. Okay. Uh, better than Delta. You own Delta, too, right? A little, a little bit of Delta, but Bastion more Alaska. was pretty bullish. Yeah. I mean, Kirby was bullish from United. Delta's no no big. No big shock. It's a great airline. It's a good time to be, you know, operating an airline, I guess. Question is whether it's a good time to be an, an investor in those stocks. They if always, they haven't always worked together. If you think there's a recession, this is not the time to own them. Yeah. Okay. Carrie, what do you got? Um, Align Technologies. So they're the maker of the Invisalign dental liners. Did great during COVID. Been in its own type of recession. Stocks down from 700 to below 200. Sells at about 22 times next year. Positive um, is that China's reopening. That's a big market for them. And the weaker dollar will help. Joe T. Home Depot. Great quarter. Even better technical formation. W, bo w bottom. Stock continues to move higher. All right, we're about an hour away from the Fed. Of course, Gunlock joining me in OT. I'll see you all then. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. 
Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.